And Hebrews 11 in the New Testament tells us about people of faith. It, it goes from Abel, a person of faith, all the way through people in the first century. And as people who God says were commended for their faith and who lived by faith, and these people were like agents of faith. They brought faith with them and they let other people know about their faith. Last week we looked at Noah. And today we're talking about a person who was asked to move. Uh, asked to move by God, someone who left his home behind and went to a new place that God showed him. So I have a question for you today. What is the biggest move that you have ever made in your life? Changing roles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what do you think? Was was biggest move like from house to house or did you ever move like to a different state? Okay, what did you have to do when you moved? Got a pad? Say goodbye. Say goodbye. What else? Anything else? You have to clean, yeah. And 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 it takes some work to actually get there, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I'll tell you about a move Steve and I made uh, several years ago. It's about twenty some years ago now. Uh, we moved to France and we lived there for five years, just right outside of Paris. We sold our house. We said goodbye to our family and friends, and we moved 4,475 miles to Paris, France. Now, when we left, we also took our three children. And uh, on the airplane with us, 27 bags, totes, and backpacks. And it, you know those luggage carts they have at the airport? Well, it took three of those to load up all of our stuff and drag it over uh, to the, first of all, to where we were going out of the airport and stand on the curb. Then we got a taxi, and boy, that was hard. 27 bags, totes, and backpacks, that, that really filled up the place with the five of us. Some of us had to actually hold some bags as we drove to where we were going. And the funny part was that our youngest at that time was three years old. So he fell asleep just as we taxied off to fly off to Paris, and he woke up when we landed. So for him, his whole world changed. People were speaking a whole different language that he didn't understand. He finally started understanding some English at three, but now he has to deal with French. Uh, so that was a new language, a new culture, a new house, a new church, a new job. Everything changed when we moved. And it was really difficult, especially the first couple of years, because of everything we had to leave behind and go there. It, it was an adjustment period, a time of transition there that first few years. So today, we are looking at someone in the Bible, in the Old Testament, who, um, like I said, God asked him to move. Uh, his name is Abram at first, and then God later changed his name to Abraham. And we're going to look at the big move he made. First, though, I'm going to read from Hebrews 11 about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Okay, so who is Abraham? Well, we're going to look in uh, Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, so like right up at the front. And if you want to get ready, we're going to be on page 10 to start with. But let me tell you a little bit about him first. 
He was originally from Ur, U R, Ur, as we'll find out. And I have some pictures here of Ur. This is an artist's rendering. Obviously, it no longer exists like this. And then let's go ahead and go to the next one. Kind of, kind of hard to see here, but you see it. Very big, very big city, right? And um, also, then the other one here is the what they call the ziggurat, or the, the temple to a foreign god. Um, so anyway, Ur, as we will, that's thank you, uh, was the heart of a rich and powerful and advanced civilization. The houses there, when they've done digs and you know uncovered parts of this, show a level of material welfare. Um, you know, riches that was equal to the city of Babylon, which was the most wealthy kingdom at its height. And Ur, though, that ziggurat thing shows us, it was also a center for idolatrous and immoral worship. We think that Abraham, Abraham lived about 2000 BC, and living there, he would have been well educated. He probably would have known uh, several languages, arithmetic, accounting, and literature, because that's how the people were who lived there. He traveled then with his wife, Sarai, who they had no children, and his father and his nephew, his nephew Lot, and they went to Haran. And Haran was a city that was a ways away, um, took several days to get there, maybe several weeks. It was situated at the crossroads of two trade routes. Haran means uh, caravan, and it would have been busy with everything uh, from all around the world, uh, known world then, coming through that city. So while he is there, God speaks to him. Let's look at page 10 in those uh, Bibles that are in the pews there, uh, in the rows there. If you could just turn there to Genesis 12, we're going to start with verse 1. Okay, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to all the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on to the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent, Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Okay, so what's interesting about this is the place he left in Ur and the place he first stopped in Haran both have idolatrous practices. And so uh, the interesting thing about that is it shows us that we can live in a situation that's very difficult and God can call us out of it. Uh, we don't leave, though, because the situation is bad. We leave because God calls us to a new thing. We don't run from something, we run to something. So sometimes God has you in a place that might not seem like the best place, but he's got you there for a reason. As long as you stay faithful to him and call on him each day, he will get you through those tough times. But don't run from something, run to something that he calls you to next. So the, the thing here, as we look at this 
passage and a couple others today about Abraham is we want to know how do we move into what God has for us? How do you move into what God has for you? So God tells him here to leave, to leave everything behind, just go with your wife, no children, and he made a promise to him. I mean, it's an awesome promise. He says, I'm going to give this land to you guys. So the first thing Abraham had to do was receive God's promise. We have to accept what God has for us, receive it, and take it, and all that goes with that. When God speaks to, us, speaks to us and we feel like he's given us a promise, sometimes it's while we read his word, sometimes it's while we're praying, sometimes it's while we're just listening to what he's putting on our hearts. He may give you a promise or a leading into something. We need to receive that and move forward in what he has for us. For Abraham, it was, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In verse 2, it says that. Abraham is 75 years old, and his wife is 65. So they're probably wondering, okay, we got no kids. We're getting kind of old. How is this going to come about? It's getting to the point where it probably sounded like it was a little bit out there. And sometimes God may lead us to do things that seem a little bit impossible in our own strength, but that doesn't mean they're not going to happen. If they're part of God's plan for us, he will bring it to pass. Well, it was another 30 years, spoiler alert here, before they had a child. And the vision of that great nation was given to Abraham to encourage him, though, at this time. I mean, if you had to wait 30 years for something to come to pass, it would be really good that you had the promise of God to rely on and to get you through, to follow him and to see it fulfilled. When God gives us a vision for our future, usually it's not for right this moment. You know, it's about something that he's going to do. And what that does, that word from God gives us the ability to hang on, hang in there through all the stuff that you have to go through to get to that fulfillment. It gives us courage. It gives us inspiration. It gives us that plumb line of God for our decisions. We know, okay, if this is what God's called me to, this is not part of it. But this is. It gives us that plumb line with the word of God and with what he's given us to do. When Abram took Lot with him, he really wasn't supposed to take him. God said, take your wife. He didn't say, and everybody else in your family. No, he said, take your wife. So he wasn't really supposed to take Lot. Um, he said, leave your people and your father's household, right? In verse 1. Okay. Um, so anyway, even though Abram went to uh, where God was calling him, he didn't fully obey what God had told him to do. He thought, well, you know, what? He can come too. I'll bring him too. So uh, what that means, though, is if we aren't fully obeying God, that is actually disobedience. If we know we're supposed to do something and we don't do it or not supposed to do something and we still do it, that's disobedience. Even if we're doing some of the right stuff, if we're not doing all of the right stuff, there's sin we are allowing in our lives. The second thing about how to move into what God's called us to is to, to um, the second point, don't carry extra baggage. And in this case, Lot was kind of like that extra baggage, wasn't he? Um, because when he took him with him, what he did was take the responsibility for his nephew. And we probably uh, remember that uh, there were some times where he had to actually bail Lot out. Uh, God was asking him to totally leave that old system, that old life, and the old way of doing things. And Lot, at this point, is an adult. He's not a little kid. He didn't have to take him. Uh, but he chose to. 
Uh, God will call us out of something, and we probably need to leave behind those things he's calling us away from to be able to move forward to the new thing that he has for us. It might be cutting ties with close friends. Like I said, by keeping Lot with him, he ended up giving Lot the best land. You see later, he's, Lot chooses the well-watered plain. He chooses the best land out there, and uh, Abraham's left with the hills and the mountains, okay? So he, he gives him the best land when they split up, and he had to rescue him two times that we read about. He was a distraction. He was a distraction and a hindrance to what God had called Abraham to. And our focus a lot of times needs to change when we're leaving one thing and coming to the next thing God has for us. He hadn't made a break with the negative things of the past, and that's evident of the choice of where Abraham chose to live. It says he pitched his tent between Ai and Bethel. And what's significant about this is what those two names mean. Ai means place of ruin. Bethel means house of God. It's like Abram is kind of in between the two, like he's got one foot out and one foot in. He hasn't really uh, decided to totally give himself to God. He's coasting down the middle at this time. For us today, it seems like sometimes we look at situations, we think, well, how close to the edge here can I live? How far away from God can I move and still be following him? You know, what can I do that I know he doesn't really want me to do, but what can I do and still be a follower? Well, what happens is that we have chosen to not give up all that God's called us to give up to give up things that are not part of that new life that we're supposed to be living. So my question to you then is what's so bad to live like that in compromise? What's so bad about that? You're not receiving the full thing that God has for you, the true gift. Yeah, anything else? It cuts off the presence of God. Puts us in a position of vulnerability. Do you mean like spiritually? Yeah, and, and it can be physically too. Uh, I mean, sometimes things like that affect our, our bodies, right? What we want to do is not live in compromise. We want to live as much like Jesus Christ as we possibly can, to be as close to him as possible. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. In this case, he's talked, he mentions about you can't serve both God and money. You can't be chasing money and think you're serving God. Well, the other thing is if you've got two different things, two masters would be like the devil and Jesus. You can't be serving both. You can't be living in sin and living in righteousness is what Jesus is saying. In Hebrews 12:1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What this is talking about is sometimes there are things that aren't sinful, but God is saying you need to leave that behind if you're going to follow me into what I've called you to. There's been several times in my life where I've had to do that, where there was something that I really enjoyed doing, and it wasn't sinful, okay? But I had to leave it behind to do what God called me to then. 
And so sometimes when you're really listening to what God tells you, he's going to say, for right now, this is what I have for you, and you need to leave that behind. For Abraham, that was Lot. Uh, he's, a, he's a relative. He's his nephew. That wasn't a sinful thing. to, But God had said, you know, that's a hindrance to you. Abraham was not totally obedient and not really identifying with all the things that God had said. He was being kind of religious, though, because in this spot between Ai and Bethel, he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. So it's like he's moving in the right direction. He's doing the thing he should. There are things we must not carry on the race that we each are running. Uh, Paul in the New Testament calls like living your life following Christ like running a race. Extra weight, hindrances, baggage, and sinful behavior will keep us from what we're called to do. It will entangle us is what Hebrews talks about. So sometimes we need to get help to remove off things that are from our, our past or generational things from our family. And here at South Oaks, we have prayer ministers that can meet with you and pray through those things. So if that's a, an issue that you're dealing with, please feel free to call the church office. We'll set up an appointment with you. So at least now Abraham is in the place, the land that God called him to. He's there. But wait a minute. There seems to be a problem. Let's look at the next few verses in Genesis 12, uh, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me but let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was very beautiful. And when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Okay, so let's talk about this. Uh, what do you guys think was wrong with what Abraham is doing here? He gave his wife away. <laughs> what? Yeah, he was listening to fear, for sure. Here again, we see disobedience. Uh, the first, very first thing is that Abram it decided to go somewhere God didn't call him to go. It doesn't say here, so God called him to Egypt. No, Abram said... He decided because the famine was severe, he would go. So Abram needs to know to stay where God has him. So this is our third point, and that is to stay with God's plan. Okay, Abram obviously thought God had overlooked something. Okay, you call me here and there's famine, great. And he thought he needed to help God out because obviously God hadn't noticed, right? So instead of consulting God and asking him for direction, he went his own way. 
for us today, we need to remember that we don't need to help God out with the promises he has given us. We don't need to try and work it out when things seem tough and when God has promised to get us through. The famine here, I believe, is a test of Abram's faith. But there's this element of fear, and that element of fear that Abram had opened the door of his life to the attacks of the enemy. And it, as you read this, he, he's not building any altars here, and it doesn't mention him calling on the name of the Lord while he's in Egypt. We can know that if God calls us to do something, he will provide for us what we need to accomplish it. We can know that because it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. In Jeremiah 32, 26, and 27, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Nothing's too hard for God. God can do it all. In Egypt, Abram lies, and he even asks for his wife to be part of the scam. Now that's not good leadership in a family, is it? The fear of having to fight a battle, the fear for his own life, and deception, deceiving the Egyptians. We shouldn't try to solve things for God. He will solve them for us. And there are times when things seem difficult, and it seems like there's no way out, and what we need to do then is trust God. And his timing is perfect. We just needed to hang in there and trust him. Well, as we see here with Abram, one sin sinful thing leads to another. And he's not doing what he needs to do. He almost compromises his wife, which would have compromised the promise of God if she was given to Pharaoh, right? Praise God, God protected her and didn't allow anything to happen there. And when we look at this time of famine, we see this is a time of transition a time of transition, when you think about that, it's the idea of a camel going through a narrow gate. And in the Middle East, the gate, when they would come to a gate, the camel would have to be all unloaded of all it was carrying to squeeze through this small opening. And during a transition, God redefines and makes adjustments in us that are necessary for us to move forward in what he has for us. It sometimes feels like a place of pressure. It's a narrow place, and many times we don't want to go through it, but God uses it to unload the weights of our past at that time. The things he wants to remove from us to transition us from the old circumstance to the new thing he has for us. If we try to avoid it or to keep those things that God is telling us to lay down, we're not going to be prepared for what God has for us next, are we? will not get to where he has promised us to go. We might have to repent of that to get back to where he first spoke to us and move into what he has for us. Transition times are times of preparation. God uses these times to work in our life and prepare us for what he has next and to pre prepare also that place he's bringing us or that position he's bringing us to. Exodus 23.20, when the Israelites were out in the desert, God said, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and bring you to the place I've prepared. So God is saying, not only am I protecting you on the way, but I prepared the place for you. This is what God does 
for us and in our lives. We all have a call from God for something, a place he has for us to grow closer to him, to accomplish the things that he has for us to do, and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Things that are in the future, God is preparing the place where you're headed. He's preparing you and that place. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has those works prepared for us in advance, before you and I were even born. The works that he had for each of us to do as we follow him were prepared in advance. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool, I think. You know, the stuff that we're doing today, that as we follow Jesus Christ, those were things he designed, it tells us in another place in Ephesians, before he created the world. Before he created the world, he knew who you were. He knew that you would be born, and he had a specific thing that would not only bring honor and glory to him when you did it, but it would bring you such fulfillment and joy. He's prepared things for us to do, and we must stay with the direction of God in our lives. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do good work, any good work. So that means as we come before him, we ask him to cleanse us from the sin, to uh, wash that off of us by the blood of Jesus, to come and be a follower of Christ and be forgiven for those sins and to ask him to fill us to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit so we can follow him. It says then we're made holy, useful to the master and prepared for any good work. We become a vessel of honor for Jesus Christ when we commit ourselves to him. So a question for you today, are you in a time of transition? If you are, God is preparing you for those next things. God is preparing you for what he's calling you to. Don't run from a narrow place. Maybe you feel like this is kind of a time of pressure. Don't run from that. Don't compromise yourself because it's tough. Return to God's plan for you because there's victory ahead. In verse 17, we read there that Pharaoh told Abram to get out of town. And I can just imagine when they went across the border back out of Egypt, back into where they had come from, I imagine the Egyptian Pharaoh and all those people were like, oh, good, I'm glad they're finally gone. <laughs> um, so he lets him keep all the cattle. He let, gives him his wife back. And here's the thing about that Pharaoh. He actually, with what he says to Abram, He's more honorable than Abram. What a sad situation for Abram. I guess he probably learned from it, though. He goes back and um, let's read in Genesis 13, verses 1 through 4. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built the altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he builds an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. That is a really good move right then. He's just come from this really uh, disobedient thing he did and he realizes he needs to get right with God. He calls on the name of the Lord. 
when we, when we personally mess up and blow it, God's desire isn't to smack us and tell us how bad we are. His desire is to restore us to that relationship with him, to get us back to where we're supposed to be with him. We need to rebuild our altar with God and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole time that Abram was in Egypt, someone along with him was watching. Lot. Lot saw the compromise, and later we see the result of that in Lot's life. He pitches his tent near Sodom, an evil city. And then the next time we read about Lot, he's actually living in the evil city, living in a city that was not honoring God. But he's picking the easy way of life, which is a slippery slope. We don't want to ever be picking the easy way because that's not necessarily God's way. And when our faith is challenged and when we see the way people around us act, do we just become desensitized to it all? and act and live the way everybody else does? Are we allowing the way of life, the values, and the behaviors of our culture around us to shape us? Or are we allowing the word of God to shape us? God is preparing us for something more. This time of transition for Abram was to prepare him. So far, up to the point of this he had been a liar, a deceiver, and a careless follower of God. God needed to develop his character to support the call on his life. He couldn't be the father of many nations. He couldn't uh, realize the promise of God to him with his current behavior. All of us have a preparation we're going through to be the people that God's created us to be. So ask yourself these questions. Am I coasting along, kind of down the middle, not too close and not too far from God? Or am I in a place that's difficult? Am I running from what I know I should do, resisting the changes that God is showing me to make? Am I leading those around me who see me every day, showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ? As you've thought about that, you might think, well, man, I'm failing in one or more of those areas. However, failure is only failure if you don't learn from it. Abram went back to where he was at the beginning, and he called on God, and he made things right. The next thing is in verse 11, Lot moves away from Abram. They parted company. Now Abram is finally where God wanted him, in the right land, in the right relationships, and in obedience to what God had asked him to do. A few more verses in Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tent, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So God asks Abram to walk the land. He's saying, put your feet by, you know, every place I'm giving you, north, south, east, west. Claim it by faith. Take what you see that I'm giving you by faith. 
the famine was over and Abram moves to the right place. And this indicates his spiritual condition. It tells us he was near Mamre in Hebron. Hebron means fellowship and Mamre means fatness or blessing. So here he is in a place with fellowship with God and his obedience leading him, bringing blessing. That's what we want. We want to have fellowship with God, obedience to his leading in our hearts and the blessing he has for us. Another name for what we've been talking about today could be pack light, pack right. Uh, take a moment and ask God, if there's spiritually a bag that you've packed or a direction that you've taken that's wrong for you, are you where God wants you to be? You can still return to him. You can still get right with God. There's a wonderful psalm that talks about how David followed what God had for him. And even through tough times, and that's Psalm 23. We're going to read through that. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's like that last song we sang, your goodness is running after me. His goodness follows us when we follow him. God prepares a table before us with all the things that he has for us, and it's a blessing for us. It prepares us. We are eating at the Father's table. He anoints us. He prepares us for what he's called us to do. He anoints us with his blessing, his power, his love, and his grace as we feed on the word of God. Would you stand with me as we close today? I just ask you as you stand, just bow your heads. And just, uh, I ask you, just what is your heart telling you today? Maybe you're, you've pitched your tent near Ai, the place of ruin. Or perhaps you've resisted the place of transition. And you're somewhere in a situation, in a job, in a relationship that God did not call you to. And God is saying, return to the place I've called you. Do what is right. God never calls us to be less than we are. He calls us to more, to a life in him that's full of his grace and full of his mercy. Today's the day to return to the place that God has for you, to pitch your tent near Hebron and Mamre. Fellowship and relationship with God and his blessing. So just with all heads bowed, if you're in a place that's difficult and you see that you're running from what God has called you to do, resisting changes God's showing you to make, and you want to get back to what Jesus has called you to, raise your hand. Thank you. If you want to make a stand today to lead those around you who see you daily, to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ, to live a life that honors and glorifies him, to lay down any baggage or hindrance in your life, any sin, raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, you see the hands. You see more than that, though. You see our hearts. You see, Lord, if we desire to follow you, thank you, Father, for this example of Abram, 
who followed you and who kept learning, kept making mistakes and doing things that weren't right, but Lord, you kept drawing him close and he responded and came back to you. Lord God, I pray that if there's things that you put your finger on in our hearts that are not right with you, Lord, that we would lay it down at the foot of the cross, that we would be willing to let go of any sin or hindrance that would entangle us from doing your will in our lives. Lord God, help us to move into what you have for us today. Thank you, Father, for this example that inspires us and encourages us because even though he wasn't the perfect guy, you cite him in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. Lord, I pray we would be known as agents of faith, people of faith who do your will, and we call upon the name of the Lord and we trust in you even when things are difficult. Father, I pray that you would just anoint us today with your Holy Spirit. Fill us up to overflowing and empower us to follow Jesus Christ and do what you've called us to. Lord God, we thank you and praise your name for all that you've done in our lives and all that you continue to do as we make those good choices. Lord God, I thank you for what you're doing in South Oaks Church. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. Father, I pray that we would be known as a place of people that love God and love people. We thank you, Lord, for everything we have in you. In Jesus' name, thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Now may the Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.